You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. Hello, everyone. Hello. Can you guys hear me okay? Hi. Yeah, there you go. Now you're really listening. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Clark Wolf, and uh, I am an entertainment correspondent at a brand called Fandom out in Los Angeles. I am from Atlanta originally, and yeah, ATL. Yes. Thank yes. Go Atlanta. You guys. Things that are happening here are very exciting, which is part of the reason why you guys are at this conference, which is fabulous. And so, this is my podcast. It's called Sending the Wolf. That's me. Um, and uh, I don't know if you can see the resemblance or not. But um, so basically what I do is every week I invite a guest on and we look at um, any of the AFI movies, uh, any list. So it can be the traditional list, but it could also be the thrills or the laughs or the score or villain. It doesn't matter. Honestly, it's less about the list and more about just giving general parameters for things we could talk about. And the guest picks a movie and we talk about it. And it's that simple. And, um, you know, the thing that I always find is that the the movie is it's less it, it's not a history lesson this is not a trivia contest um it's not like you know it's really just a, a gateway into uh getting to know a person and so my guest tonight is an actor who you have seen on the walking dead you've seen in game night i tanya uh, he's awesome dude, but he also has this incredible behind-the-scenes background um, that I think is going to be really beneficial to you guys as creatives. So please give a round of applause to Josh Michael. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you're here. Yeah. This is great. This is very exciting. And so I, I think I've got... We've done, I've done 26 episodes of the podcast so far, but this is my first one with an audience, which is very exciting for me. So thank you, Terminus, for, for letting me do this, because I actually do listen to podcasts, and uh, I love live episodes and, and live conversations. I just think they're really always very interesting. Thank you for having me. This is very fun. I'm very excited. This so is very fun. I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> you don't have anything to be nervous about. You're a theater guy. Oh, yeah. Come on, you're used to being in front of audiences and crowds. And yeah, all right. And hordes of zombies and, and dangerous things. Um, okay, so, so let's talk about first, let's talk about the movie that you picked. Which movie did you pick? Tell the audience. I picked Amadeus. So have I've any of Amadeus. you guys seen Amadeus? Because, okay, a good amount of you guys. That's awesome because both of us had not seen it until today. <laughs> And Josh did something that I, so when I am talking to my guests and I'm saying like, pick a movie, I, I have some recommendations, right? You know, I always suggest, hey, watch it again. Even if you've seen it a million times, you can go as quote unquote on brand or off brand as you want. So maybe the audience will be surprised that you picked it or maybe they'll be like, yeah, of course you picked that. And so Josh did something that no guest has ever done, which is pick a movie they had never seen. Um, I frequently have never seen the movie. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, but that's good because it like sort of breaks you out of your comfort zone. So I want to start by asking kind of 
Oh, there you go. Oh, thank you. What service? Um, <laughs> so I want to start by asking. And, oh, and by the way, I don't know. I think the I think the ranking is number fifty four on the first list that came out in the late 90s. The reason I do not know this is because honestly, it's not important. It, we're, we're really here to just like, like I said, their, their parameters, their guidelines. So Citizen Kane's number one though, right? It's always number one. And I think The Godfather's number two at this point. Because sure. Casablanca was two and now it's, anyway. So let's talk a little bit about why did you pick Amadeus? Because I, if I may, did not expect the, of all the things, and I don't, we don't know each other, but I just, I, I wasn't expecting anybody to pick Amadeus. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, honestly, I picked it because it's one that I am remotely familiar with. Um, I'm a big fan of Peter Schaefer and his work as a playwright, uh, and I'd been meaning to watch it. And I think I, I was telling Clark at some point I, I started watching it. Um, I think pretty intoxicated, and then turned it off because it was not a Saturday night film. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I just, uh, you know, it's something I've been meaning to watch. There's many on that list I have not watched, embarrassingly. Um, and it's, uh, it, I'm, you know, obviously glad I did. It's, it's really, it's a really cool film. So actually, uh, maybe, maybe a good place to start with that is Milos Forman just passed away uh, a couple of months ago. Um, but Milos Forman also directed, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Man on the Moon, The People versus Larry Flint, uh, uh, Ragtime. I think he did a, a version of Hair. Like the list goes on and on and on. He has a very eclectic uh, body of work. But one of the themes, and I think you can see this in Amadeus very clearly, is um, this idea of like a torture genius um, you know and, and I think that that's in this film specifically uh, re, you know it's it's a three-hour so we both discovered today that the director's cut is the only version that you can buy or rent and it is a solid three hours long but it is truly you know um, spoiler alert Mozart died <laughs> at 35 from syphilis yeah yeah it was a bad situation um, but you know they really explore um, this man who was truly a genius and a genius from so young like it, it manifested so quickly and and I think that it suits Foreman's style and it suits his strengths while also being this very grand, um, historical, operatic, literally and figuratively, story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's it's something too that's really interesting as creatives and young creatives. Uh, you know, when you get out of school and you're like, you know, I'm going to take over the world, and uh, you get the sense that Mozart was very much that way from, you know, the the play and the screenplay. But uh, then you have these these naysayers, these folks who are uh, who are at the top. And who maybe don't want to see their, uh, you know, position undermined, and uh, will do kind of villainous things to, uh, you know, take care of you, uh, to make you feel lesser, and uh, cheapen the work that you're doing. Um, which, you know, Salieri definitely has a, a vendetta against Mozart, and uh, sets out to destroy him, and succeeds. And I, you know, I, it's it's interesting too, because I don't know how true this is to to what we know about Mozart. I don't know, I'm not a, you know, <laughs> Mozart historian. I've been to Vienna. They really love him there. They love like exploiting him there. They, they put him on chocolates and stuff. Ooh, delicious. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, I, I don't really know a ton of, he was born on my birthday. <laughs> Genius. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when is that? Uh, January 27th. 
He's an Aquarius. All right. I, that means nothing. Um, but yeah. Well, I, something to your point, actually, and we were talking about this a little bit in the green room. So Amadeus is based on a play, and um, you were you were up for that role. You were up for that show when you were in uh, at FSU, yeah. And so I, I think it kind of connects and ties into exactly what you were just saying about when you're young and, and, and you know, you, you, you get to a certain place where you're like, yeah, I'm going to take over the world. And then somehow, some way, especially as a creative, sometimes you get knocked down a peg. But you said that not getting this role, which is an incredible role, was, was sort of a blessing in disguise for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, you, like when you're acting in high school or you're, you're doing any, any sort of creative work, middle school, high school, everybody's just blowing smoke up your ass the whole time, like, Oh, it's so great, you know, what you're doing is so wonderful, uh, which is lovely. It's lovely to be supported as a creative. Um, but then you get to college and everyone's like, you know, you think you're hot shit, but you really are just schmacting, you know, you're not really doing any sort of real acting. You, you know, you get taken down a peg. And then from there you kind of build your way back up. And so I, you know, in, in college I was, I, I went into school, I did this terrible production of Hamlet my, my freshman year uh, where the, uh, the, most of the compliments after the show were like, man, that was really fast. <laughs> and, uh, and now looking back on it, it's like the most embarrassing, uh, I'm just humiliated that I, I thought I could do that thing with such little training. And, uh, you know, I, I was just so proud of my work. Um, and then, you know, senior year comes, ar comes around and I think I'm hot shit again. My friend's casting, he's directing Amadeus, he's like an MFA graduate. Um, and I read for Amadeus Again, I'm still schmacting, like I still am not really connecting with anything. And uh, yeah, and I don't get it. You know, I think it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. You know, it's like that, that classic thing of like, success is the worst thing that could happen to somebody. Or the, yeah, success is the worst thing that could happen to somebody. And I, and I think that's kind of what you see with Mozart. You, you know, thankfully uh, I, I'm able to work as an actor and uh, you know, I don't have to wait until I'm after I'm, after I'm dead for people to appreciate <laughs> me working as an actor, but uh, you know, it clearly pulled things out of him that, and, and pulls things out of many people. Um, you know, the, the desire to be great and the desire to be, uh, you know, uh, remembered and your legacy. Um, that's, that's something that I think keeps people motivated. And then suddenly when they achieve that thing, especially young in life, which, you know, Mozart didn't have that success. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, just this is so tangential and a side note, but speaking of, um, of Schaefer, I was in a production of Black Comedy. Jason, this is my one of my best friends, Jason, here in the crowd, and uh, he w we went to high school together. And he he did a panel earlier today talking about directing episodic uh, content, and um, so so he knows the same high school director that I have. <laughs> yeah. I, I made him sit in the front and say that, but yeah. the cheers. But but the nice work, Clark. I heard it was great. Yeah, thank you. It's it's just really getting around my performance as the old lady in black comedy. <laughs> but the the point that I am making is that, you know, his work. Uh, you know, it. it it is timeless and important, but at the same time, there is something in you, yeah, where you're just like, I could do this. Yeah, I can do this. My, the same high school director, so Schaefer also wrote Equus, um, which is a classic, you know, tragedy uh, or, you know, a, a drama. And um, Daniel Radcliffe, you know, brought it to the stage very notably in the last decade or so. He um, was balls out in that role. He literally... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, yeah, good. There's a lot of, but, but that said, my high school director also wanted to do Equus in Alpharetta, Georgia. 
with t- high school children. If you, it, it is. It would the, the lead is, yeah, is naked the whole time. He stabs the eyes out of a horse. He's kind of losing his mind, and he's. It's a, it, yeah. <laughs> Real high school is a double bill with Little Shop, <laughs> which Jason played the lead in. Um, so, so yeah, but I, I do think that, you know, this work is... Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, speaking of our glorious performances, let's talk about the performances in this movie. Absolutely. Because I, I got to tell you, I was not as familiar... Um, this, is, this is kind of embarrassing, but I will tell you, because we're sharing up here. <laughs> um... I first learned about this movie from I Love the 80s. Do you remember this series on VH1? I'm probably, you guys are probably too young to even remember I Love the 80s, which is like, do you remember I Love the... Anyway, but um, they, did a, they did a little segment about, or, um, about Amadeus because it, it won Best Picture, it won eight Oscars, like, and, and you know, obviously there was the song, Rock Me Amadeus, all that stuff, right? So. That's kind of the general, like you were saying, oh yeah, I turned it on one night and I was a little drunk and I went, yeah, this isn't the time. So similarly, I was kind of like, oh yeah, I, I know of this. And then I started watching it and the performances from F. Murray Abraham as um, Salieri. 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 I had too many drinks at Trader Vic's. Um, and in Tom Hulse as Mozart, I mean, as Mozart, like it, they, they are so good. And I think that it's really important to to note because when you look at these guys on, like for instance with um, with with Tom Hulse, you look at him on IMDb and you're like, oh well, Animal House, okay, and then be- Best Actor nominee for Amadeus, great, and then Quasimodo in Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, awesome. But you're like, where 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 did this go? Like, what what is the deal? And I didn't know this, but he's he produced Spring Awakening on Broadway. He produced American Idiot, the Green Day musical, and he is a he's an Emmy winner, a Tony winner. Like, I mean, he's a theater guy. And I think that when you watch this performance, there's so much going on, and it seems so light. Like it almost seems airy in a way, but he's doing such amazing work. And of course, F. Murray Abraham like won that. I mean, he's fabulous. Oh yeah, yeah. It, I, it's funny because I'm always like, did he did he voice Jafar? <laughs> like, because he kind of looks a little bit like Jafar, <laughs> but like totally did not. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it is a, an amazingly performed piece. Uh, it's funny too because if you've seen it, um, it, or if you haven't seen it, Mozart has this kind of ridiculous laugh yes. uh, that I'm sure was part of the casting for it. It's always, yeah, I don't even, it's, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, it's like, that just was good. And, and like really, you know, obnoxious and everyone is kind of uh, always a little put off by it. And it's funny to the way that they present this guy is kind of like a, you know, a, a social idiot. Um, yes. And in, they talk about it a couple times in the film. Like, I can't believe you're letting some, you know, uh, dirt bag like this compose for the national opera or whatever. Um, uh, you know, but it, it's it, uh, Schaefer could have. I think when you you set out to write a, a period piece like this, or you direct a period piece, you, you always imagine people, you know, being so like sophisticated and stupid, right. you know. Right. Uh, but but to like treat this guy like he's uh, a human being, and you know, the, there's a lot of sexuality in it, um, especially in the play. It's a, I think it's actually more sex heavy in the play, um, but. You know, just kind of the crude nature of this of this guy that we we all you know now it's his face is on chocolates in Vienna. You know. 
Yeah, it's interesting too, the, the idea, and I think this is also something that is, whether it was intentional or not, was a theme that ran through Milos Forman's work was, you know, as, as we said, obviously Mozart is a, a genius. I mean, that's, there's no question about that. But, as, but also, he's a complete knucklehead. And, and, the, and so it's, it's yeah, it is, it's, it's the duality of, of human beings. And it's, well, and it's that human beings are capable of being um, so much more than just being in one little box. And I think you really see, and same with Salieri. Like, I mean, the, the journey that, that he takes uh, in his relationship, I, I think this is really important for creatives and for people who are interested in, in working as a creative. You admire people, but you also feel a little jealous of them, and, and yet you want, you want to see them succeed because you know they are so fucking good, excuse my language, but it's like true, you know? Um, and yet you resent it. There's just so many layers to that relationship. Yeah, I, I always can, is this still on? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I always consider myself kind of a a secret competitive, you know, mm -hmm. like like people don't know that I'm competing with them because if they knew, then it'd be a real competition, which would make me uncomfortable. But like, you know, when you when you set out and you're auditioning for stuff, you, you know, you go into an audition room and my the way I think you can approach other people's success in, in a couple different ways, right? Um, you either hope that they do do their best because you know that you have in you that create cr you know competitive type. Um, and so you push, you, you know, it pushes you to, to do better, right? And that's the way I feel about it. I, when, I, when you walk into an audition room, it's like, I want everybody to succeed here and do their best because, you know, if, if I'm doing my best, you, I just trust that that will, that will be enough. Uh, if I don't get it, then it'll encourage me to continue on, you know. Uh, th that, that loss will be better for me than the success or yeah. something. You don't, you know, like, there's people like Salieri who walk into audition rooms and, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking mind games and stuff. They're, uh, they're sabotaging your work immediately. You know, they're trying to talk you up and get you distracted away from your sides or away from your focus. Um, and that happens. It happens all through art. You know, you have there's, – there's folks and they – it's like that enemy's closer thing, right? You, you, tr you understand these people are a little bit, uh, you know, split-tongued when, when they're, uh, they're dealing with you and talking about your art. Uh, and, and you, you know, you learn to understand where people are coming from. Like, it's are your your critiques coming from a place of wanting me to be better, uh, or are your critiques coming from a place of wanting to to break me down uh, and undermine me because you you want that thing that I'm achieving or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think too, you know, I if you guys are going to make the move to LA or if you are going to, you know, do do the real like really go for it, which I encourage everybody to do because I think you got to if you don't if you don't show up, you can't you can't win, you can't do it, you know? But that said, there is, you know, I've been in Los Angeles for 10 years now and um and I love it. I love LA. I've lived in New York, I've lived here in Atlanta, I'm from Atlanta. And I've been in L.A. for 10 years. But there is definitely, and in addition to being like a, a host, I'm, I also work in scripted and I'm an actor. And what I would say is there is this mindset of it has to be one or the other. Like, you know, you, you walk into a room, like you were saying, and it's like, uh, everyone here is my competition. Or you approach it from a place of like, listen, as long as I do my best, like that's all, that's the way I choose to operate. That's the way, and, and I think that, it's hard because you can burn out so quickly if you and and there and y it's easy to confuse um you know th like be a ruthlessness with uh drive 
because I don't think that they have to be the same thing. And I think what we see with Salieri by the end is is he's helping him. I mean, he's truly watching this man die. At least that's how I interpreted it. I think it's pretty clear, in my opinion, that he has made a turn. Like he he is, and he's always loved and hated Mozart from afar. But once once we get to the end, he he really does make sure that he can he can help him succeed. Yeah, I, I don't. I I kind of. I kind of took that a different way. Oh, I think. Yeah, I don't great. know. Uh, like, cause, uh, you know, I think he 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 knows that getting Mo- getting uh, you know Mozart at the time to to lay out his mass, right? He that's what he. I, I hate it because I want you to see the film. If you haven't seen the film, it's very good. I don't want to spoil it for you completely, um, but you know, Salieri is he's he's in a kind of deceivious way. Uh, uh, asked Mozart to write one final mass, and right. the, the mass is actually for Mozart himself. Um, and as he's in his, you know, as he's in his bed and he's dying from whatever he had, I think it was truly syphilis, <laughs> um, that, that he is, is, you know, pulling that thing out of him. I think, A, because he, he doesn't want Mozart to leave the earth without giving this thing up. Um, but also, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think he knows that this is, this is pulling literally everything out of him. Um, and so he's. I, th- I think it stays malicious for Salieri. I don't. You know it is because it, it, you. He, there's this beat where he's like. He's like no, like Mozart's like. I I think we can rest. Can we rest for a little while? Do you need to rest or something? Uh, and Salieri's like, no, I can keep going. I can keep going. <laughs> you know. Right. Like it's it's a contest until the end. I'm yeah. good. Are you good? You're yeah. not good. Mm, that's mm, so too bad but for you. Like, to me, it's like it's like he really wants to see him die. Like he really wow. wants to be that orchestrator of his death. You know. I wonder though, because um, so somebody else I want to give a shout out to in the performance world is uh, Elizabeth Barrett. Uh, let's see, Barrage, um, who played uh, Mozart's wife. Constance. Right. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, Stance. Stance. Yeah. Whatever. Um, I don't know. It's very American tongue. I have. But that said, um, in that final scene, so she's left him. And because he is a knucklehead and he's blown all their money and he, he, you know, he's a genius. Yes. But like that doesn't provide for her and her son. You know, they're living this lifestyle that they cannot continue. And um, so she comes back and she comes back and Salieri's like and she starts taking all the music and taking all the papers. and, And she's like, we're getting rid of this. And. Salieri is like, whoa, whoa, you, you, you can't do that. It's, it's mine. It's, and, and I don't think he's saying like, I wrote that. I think he's trying to protect it. And, and, but, but that scene communicated to me that he knew that what was happening, it was almost that as an appreciator of the art, his appreciation for the art and love for the art was stronger than his contempt for Mozart. Absolutely. And yeah. so so it was in and, and I do think though that and this is just a testament to uh, F. Murray Abraham, like his fi- they're all of these complex emotions. What you took away and what I took away are all on his face, like activating at the same time. And it's it's like Oh my God! It's and and so you can make that decision. Right. You know, did he did he do it so that he ultimately like killed him, or did he do it because as a contemporary and recognizing this man was more gifted than he would ever be, he has to appreciate him? And right. I don't know. Yeah, and he does have a you know a really sweet beat where uh, Mozart asks him what did he what do you think of it or whatever, and he he gives his honest opinion, and he does that a couple times mm-hmm. in the film. But then, you know, actively undermines him every, you know, every turn. Uh, 
There is a great scene in this. I mean, there are a lot of great scenes in this movie. It's three hours long, so there's a lot of potential. But um, no, in all seriousness, um, Salieri is awarded by the emperor. Is he's an emperor, right? Uh, yeah, Joseph, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, played Joseph by Jeffrey Jones, and. Um, so good. He's, he's very good in this movie. Like, I know that that is a questionable human being in real life. Oh, he is? Uh, is it? Oh, he's, oh. I'll tell you later. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I loved him in Mom and Dad Saved the World. He's great in so many things. Beetlejuice. The list yeah. goes on and on. Uh, but questionable individual. Anyway, <laughs> point is, um, Salieri, basically the emperor stands up in front at the conclusion of this performance of one of Salieri's works, and he says, you know, I, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, and, and Mozart's there. And I just love that you see Salieri being like, I know it's not true. Right, well, and then he, he like has that look up to the, the balcony and Mozart, where he knows Mozart, Mozart is, and Mozart has peaced out, you know? Yes. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, it matters not if like he doesn't. And then Mozart comes down. Oh man, this that that bit that bit right there, right? Because like Mozart comes down and Salieri's accepting praise for this this uh, this uh, opera that he just had performed. Um, and Mozart's there, and Salieri's like, what did you think about it? And Mozart says something, you know, nice. something nice, yeah. Uh, and, it, it and he says, it's my, uh, I honestly mean it, or I truly mean it. Like, he, totally. he doubles down. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it reminded, I don't know if you guys have ever played music, like, in bands or anything. Um, it, like, I've, I've played in a band for a little while, and, you know, you a lot of times you end up playing with, you know, you get on weird bills with music you maybe you don't love, but you always have to talk to people after the show. Uh, and I have this buddy, Brooks, he, he uh, I won't talk about which band he's in now. <laughs> he's in a very big band now, but his his thing was always like, "Wow, man, just wow, wow." <laughs> you know, like like how'd you like it, man? Are you into uh, you into our like ska funk reggae uh, metal <laughs> band? And it's like, "Wow, buddy, you you really did it." <laughs> like, and it, I mean that's that's kind of what Mozart I think does at that moment. He's like, I I can't really, I don't I can't really compliment the artistry, but. Uh, you know, you did something there. Yeah. But I do think that it really gets into, I mean, and I think this is important, like when we talk about um, entertainment, pop culture, whatever, and there are awards, or everything now is views and, you know, likes and thumbs up and star ratings and all of it. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's a really interesting and kind of challenging thing sometimes where you're like, God, I know that thing is better, and, and I appreciate that thing, and yet the other thing is getting the praise or the success, and or vice versa, where you're sitting there going like, I do not deserve this, whatever. And it's not about being self-deprecating. It's about truly appreciating your craft, whatever your craft is. And it's a weird, it's a weird thing to award art because it is so subjective, um, it, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a line in the play that I don't think made the movie. Uh, it's something about like pitting pitting artists against each other in a race isn't something like one of the uh, one of the uh, emperor's dudes. He has all these yes men, um, and one of the emperor's dudes is like asked about, well, maybe we should have a, a competition between Mozart and like an, another young prodigy, um, and. One of the guys is like, well, pitting artists against each other isn't really something that I'm interested in. Because uh, it's not, you know, it's like being creative is not like a competition. That's another thing, too, that's interesting about it, right, is, um, you know, the, 
it's uh, it sounds so douchey, but like the inf infinitude of creativity, right? Is like you you're always you have this pool, and everybody's like, oh, I have this precious idea. Uh, I I need to hang on to it, and not let anybody know about this thing. And and I think your people, you know, you become so uh, protective of that thing, and you don't share that thing a lot of times because you you don't trust yourself to have more of that. Right. You know, you're like, oh, this is the only idea I'm ever gonna have. Because like creativity is such a, uh, you know, uh, you're just walking along and you you suddenly piece something like I don't know if you got have you guys read um, Stephen King's on writing? Yeah, he talks about that very thing. Like he's like, you know, yeah, I had this idea, I forgot it, I wrote it down. Two years later, I'm I'm cleaning a bathroom. I see a tampon box, a uh, women's bathroom at a YMCA or something. He's and he sees a tampon box and he suddenly has this. He hears this story about a, a girl, and you know uh, he st starts thinking about how miserable these, you know, uh, he, this miserable story he knows, and then suddenly becomes Carrie, you know, and, and like that was like this amalgam, this kind of like perfect storm of ideas that he suddenly just pieced together, you know. I, I'm glad you brought up Stephen King, if only tangentially, because something that we were talking about in the green room that I do want to bring up um, that, I, that I think is kind of interesting is the idea of adaptation. So adapting. Uh, you know, material for different mediums. Um, because now, especially like as you guys, as we all are creators and being creative, you know, like I can tell you right now, we were talking about it at dinner. Like I have this idea that I thought was, first I thought was a movie. And then I talked to a friend who's in television and she was like, I think this is a TV show. And then I worked on it for like eight months and I was like, yeah, this is a TV show. And then Adam, who's sitting right here, who's also another good friend of mine, uh, was like, what about a graphic novel? And I was like, actually, yeah, I do think that this, so the point I'm making is that the trick is understanding whatever medium you're actually working in because it's so easy to take a play and just set up you know it's one of the reasons I don't like a lot of stage to film adaptations is because they don't actually make a movie you know but here they really really did right that's that's and that's something I was mentioning to you in the green room too I, uh, so in the play uh, Salieri begins the, the show um, in, in, in a way that is ultra theatrical, that, that you know, it, it makes sense why this is a play, um, because he he is confessing to the ghosts of the future, and so he the lights come up in the house and he sees the entire audience and he's saying he, he begins to give his confession on why he thinks he killed Mozart. Um, in the in the film, it does something uh, I think that that makes the two the, the two things critically different, um, and Salieri is has already slit his throat. He's found in the opening of the film, which happens later in the film, uh, in the play, rather. Um, and he is in an insane asylum, and he's, he's giving a confession to a priest, um, which, you know, it, there is some sort of, uh, you know, giving a, a confession to a, a human being in a room is different than giving a confession to ghosts of the future, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and I think it does change the way that the two pieces are received. And they're both amazing in their own right. Um, which I'm sure is why like the the film comes out, wins eight Oscars, wins Best Picture, and people still do the play because it's still really fucking good. You know, I was I was doing a little bit of reading after I watched the movie and it's one of I don't remember the exact um, statistic, but it's one of a handful of best picture winners that never cracked the top five box office ranking. 
So I, you know, which is which is just so like it's so interesting to me because that was another thing I picked up on when I was watching this movie was I was like, damn, this movie looks expensive, you know, and 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 rightfully so. It is a truly it's operatic, literally and figuratively. Um, but I just and we were talking about we were talking in the green room about how I was th like, you know, with something like this, I found myself, and I'm just such a child of, you know, like, <laughs> you love her, you very subtly. Like, my roommate, AJ, my old roommate. AJ. <laughs> um, what up, AJ? <laughs> please, I'm a deist. Pl yeah, please, please tag us on all the things. But, um, uh, oh no, now I lost it. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, how, how expensive it was. Uh, no, uh, I'm kidding, I'm yes, so no, no, I got it, I got it, but, um, I am such a child of this generation that I was watching this like, ah, oh, I wish this was a TV show. I wish this was a miniseries. I wish this was like a premium cable experience where I could spend, because when you're asked to sit for, for you know, three hours and one sitting, one continuous narrative, you know, and not that there's anything boring, the performances are captivating, it's glorious to behold, but I also found myself being like, no, I'd rather spend like six one hour installments with this guy and this life instead of, and, and that's just something where we are now, but but it, it was a different time uh, when the feature came out, and uh, so I wonder how a story like this would do now if told through a different medium that wasn't staged, you know what I mean? Totally. And there's so much about Mozart that we, you know, it's interesting because he goes from from a really sexy lifestyle. We don't we don't see a lot. Oh, it's really interesting actually. One of the one of the things that is removed from the the film, uh, which I, f I have a, a sneaky suspicion that some producer did this, but uh, <laughs> and I'm you know, um, it's his his wife in the in the play accuses him, uh, and I think it's pretty clear that he is. He is uh, an adulterer um, at, with all his young, uh, all the all the folks he's tutoring, all the young girls he's tutoring. Um, that thing it conveniently was left out of the movie. Yeah. So you're, you know, when uh, when you see Constance at the, there's a masquerade and you see her um, lifting up her dress and people are seeing her legs. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, she, she, you know, the father Amadeus is uh, well, Mozart's father is is. Uh, really pissed off about this thing um but you know we don't see much of mozart being also a dirtbag <laughs> like mm -hmm. uh and I, th I think that's what it makes the play way more dynamic in that way uh and the the character his wife is more interesting uh because you know she's not just there like oh i'm you know i'm facilitating this prodigy like i you know i'm the caretaker and i clean up after him or whatever like she she is a, you know, she has a spine. She's a real human being in the play. There was remnants of that, I think, in the scene where he comes in after a night of partying and, and she's like, your, your dad's dead. Um, he's like, meet all these cute girls I brought home. Here's my wife. And I was like, um, <laughs> I don't feel like that's how anyone would react. It was like, it was, it wasn't um, jarring, but it was also like, this is left over from something else. Like, this doesn't quite reconcile, I guess, but. Yeah, yeah and, well, I guess in Salieri, but I guess before they got married, before Constance and uh, Mozart get married, Salieri knows that the Amadeus, the Mozart has had, uh, has had relations with uh, uh, Salieri's prodigy soprano or whatever, right? Yes, yes, that's right. Um, Dirty dog. Yeah, shame, shame. Um, all right, so before we, uh, you know, Josh has been so kind to to offer up some time for questions. So if anybody has any questions, uh, start thinking. Um, but on my show, so okay, 
we use the list um, as parameters, like I said earlier. It's not super important. Uh, but I did add something to the show where at the end of the show, the guest gets to pick any movie that's not on the list that they would add. And, and this kind of, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. This came from looking at the AFI thrills list. Um, and these are American films, most thrilling American films. And John Carpenter's The Thing is not on that list. And it wasn't even nominated. Like there were 500 movies that were submitted. The Thing from Another World was submitted, which okay, yeah. But um, but the thing wasn't. And it, and I just I fundamentally this is sort of where I like beat my drum is. I just fundamentally disagree. Like that's not you. It's an when it comes to thrilling moments in American film when Kurt Russell tests the blood. Like there's. It's wrong. It's just the list is wrong. So I say that to say everyone now everyone gets to add a movie that they want. So do you have a movie? And also, like you, somebody picked Isle of Dogs the other day. Like, you can pick any movie that you want. It doesn't matter. Like it could have come out this month if you want. But do you have a movie that you would add? I, I think I know what it is. And, and I, that's why I saved a little extra time to talk about it because it's super rad. Yeah, I'd, it would be No Country for Old Men. Yes, correct. Uh, you know, the source, it's another adapted screenplay. Yeah. Uh, the source material is amazing. Uh, unfortunately, I read the book after I saw the film, um, but it's, they're both amazing. Why do you say unfortunately? Uh, I, I think, you know, like I'm doing, the th I'm doing the same thing with Harry Potter right now. I'm like 34 years old and I'm just reading Harry Potter. And I saw the movies already and I'm so mad because I know what Dobby looks like and I know what Hermione looks like and I know all these, you know, I, it's just less, uh, I'm using less creative energy, I think. Um, and, you know, with, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm bummed. <laughs> and there's, there's like a lot of great stuff, and, but, I, but now I'm just kind of like trudging through it because I'm like, well, I, I, you know, I know Cedric, spoiler, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, dies in the, you know, dies in the games and whatever. Uh, it, it's just, a, uh, yeah, it's a bummer. Um, I, don't, I don't feel that same way about No Country exactly. I don't think I'd, but I was certainly seeing um, Javier, Javier Bardem as Anton Shugra. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my head while reading the book. Anyways, it's fantastic. Uh, it's it's such a it, it's a film that I was talking about. I think breathes amazingly. Um, Coen Brothers are never rushing out of scenes. They're never they they do really intelligent things editing. They they know exactly what they're you know. You guys are film people. It's like <laughs> yeah, talking about the Coen Brothers to film people. It's like oh god. Like, you, you want to talk about Prince to music people or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, Prince is really good, y'all. Uh, no, but no country. It's like, so, you know, we when we think about the Coen brothers, I think, you know, most people probably jump to maybe Fargo or Raising Arizona or, you know, there's a, their, their body of work is obviously very eclectic and diverse, but with no country. So this is why... I love No Country for Old Men. And I will say, as I've gotten older, I really appreciate the Coen brothers more and more and more. Um, but I like No Country for Old Men because it is a secret horror movie. Um, you know, Anton Sugar is uh, the sh Bruce the Shark from Jaws. He is the shape in Halloween. He is the unstoppable force. I love that the Coen brothers made a horror movie secretly, secretly, and it won Best Picture. Like, the, and I, and I think that it's really interesting because especially as we see, as, as I'm sure you guys can tell, I'm a genre fan, I'm a horror nerd, and so, yeah, <laughs> in case that wasn't clear, but 
I think it's really interesting because we're seeing genre start to genre always goes in waves um, in terms of like what the what they're what the uh, genre is talking about, what it's dealing with, what we're afraid of, et cetera, et cetera. And we saw with Get Out, we saw with a monster movie like Shape of Water, we saw with over um, almost a billion dollars for it with you know which Hereditary, have you seen Hereditary, which is also people are talking about. Um, not to plug my own show, but we just did an episode on Hereditary, oh. so you guys should listen to it. Kaylin Corrigan, who writes for Bloody Disgusting and Birth Movies Death and a number of other publications, we did like a deep dive in, which was really fun. But my point is, I think that genre has a lot to say. And so when you look at something like No Country, which is talking about industry, it's talking about a certain way of life, it's talking about the fear I think that people have of quote unquote outsiders coming in of you know a changing environment that, that's Tommy Lee Jones's whole deal is like things are different than the way they were you know um, but it's such a remarkable film and I love that there's basically no music in the whole movie which is so if, if you go back and rewatch it because there's like one scene where I believe it's a mariachi band is playing in on the street you yeah, know so like, it's he's like hobbling through yeah it's it's <laughs> it's diegetic sound but there's no if i'm not mis i think i'm right there's no score it's just quiet two things two things you told me about it it's a horror film and there's no score it's amazing i didn't I'd stick with me stick with <laughs> you know your stuff clark you know your stuff <laughs> i'm putting that on the podcast on like a business card knows know, her stuff yeah. <laughs> um but no i mean i and and the and i also just want to mention real fast while we're talking about it that movie is timeless, I think. Um, it's 10 years old, over 10 years old now, and I, and I watched it, I didn't know that he was picking this movie. I watched it on the plane on the way here, and I was like, yeah, this, is, this, this could have come out yesterday, or it could come out in five years. And it's still, there's nothing about it that feels dated. It feels like it's this perfect thing that will always be cool and always live forever. You know, it'll always be relevant and always be scary. Um, it's just a really special movie. It really is. It really th there's is. Anything to sp if there's anything to be said against it, right? It's yeah. like uh, there's two female characters in there, right? It's True. Like, or maybe, th right, uh, he, it, is, is his mom in there? I don't know. All I'm there's remembering the is his wife. <laughs> and, and the woman who is the... Uh, well, the prostitute. Oh, isn't, isn't there a sex worker in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I don't know. There's the woman who checks, uh, who checks Josh Brolin into the hotel, I think, that Anton crosses paths with later and you're like oh god he's gonna kill her yeah right? yeah <laughs> yeah i do love his wife in that movie yeah, though she's so good um the, i like the character too i mean yeah. i like her like and i like um i like what she's i just like what she says she and that kill me aren't you yeah and just and she's just like well whatever go ahead and do it I, fuck you i mean it's it's kind of awesome and then the other thing that i think is fun fun is the wrong word interesting is um all the off-screen deaths because it's so if you've seen the movie what do you remember you remember the the cow thing that like pop, it's his we his weapon of choice right um freddy krueger has the glove michael myers has the stabby stabs and uh, <laughs> jason jason has the hockey mask that's not really a weapon but you get what i mean but it's his icon iconography and yet 
some of the most consequential deaths in that movie are off screen. Oh you yeah. do not see them. Yeah, you just see the blood on the shoes. Exactly. Right. It's so good. It's so good. So go watch it. Go watch Woody Amadeus. Harrelson too. Woody I th- Harrelson. I always forget that he's in that movie. I'm like, ah, oh, he's so good in that movie. Man, Woody Harrelson is like an MVP. That scene in the hotel room when he's like sitting in the yes. chair when he gets killed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? It's Everyone 11 years dies. old. And Everyone dies. True. In True. And a Best Picture oh, winner. Okay. So okay. go go watch it. Okay. Um, I feel good about this. Any last minute things you want to say about either No Country for Old Men or Amadeus? I hope I didn't spoil them for you. <laughs> there, yeah, go see, you know, if you haven't seen Amadeus, uh, watch that shit. It's yeah, good. it's really good. Four it's bucks on iTunes, baby. <laughs> That's right. For that sweet, sweet HD. Um... All right, so anybody, I would love to, uh, if you don't have questions, that's okay, but if anybody has any questions or anything, um, now is the time, so feel free to raise your hands, but if you don't, that's also okay. But this guy, this this guy's a screenwriter, and he's an actor, and he's uh, he's just a multi-talented dude, so yes, Adam, call you by name. So before you answer, for our audience at home who's listening, the question was about adaptations and historical. If we're taking a historical figure and we're making a work of fiction about them, do you get hung up on, as a writer, do you get hung up on uh, on those, those details, or what are your thoughts on that? Um, I've only tried writing one period piece, and it, it's a ripoff of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I really... You know, it's t- and like I, then I wasn't even doing research. I was like, there, "There's a town magistrate, right? Like that's a that's a thing that <laughs> that it was in these old colonial towns." Um, but yeah, no, I, it's funny because Amadeus in particular, there's not a lot of stuff that I that bugs me about it. It's just when you know the the one thing that I notice is when he takes off his wig, it's like, "Oh, that's a David Lee Roth hairdo." Yeah, like, <laughs> like he, he totally just looks like he's out of a, a hair metal like band. Like an eighties movie, like it's the eighties. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, the one speaking to that, uh, I was doing a little reading, and you know, it, who knows? It's the internet; it could be totally total bullshit. But um, the basis for the laugh, right? So you mentioned it earlier. Uh, Mozart has this like really high pitched, goofy laugh, and he does it a lot through the movie. Um, and allegedly, that's based on two letters that had been written. Women talking about trying to describe this man, and they and they mentioned that he had this kind of this laugh. Um, but it has never been cited or found anywhere else. And also, magically, no one can produce those letters. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like somebody made up a fact in order to make it. But it, but it's, it is like an uh, iconic moment. Is it in the play? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, he certainly laughs. There, there's cert- it says like he laughs and it's, it's like off color or something. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's not like. It doesn't describe it like it's yeah. high pitched and yeah, you know, but and I, the production that that I did not get cast in, goddammit, it, <laughs> uh, the 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 lead in that 
did pretty much the same laugh. So I, you know, I'm like, mm, did you watch the movie? Yeah, uh-huh. seriously. Oh, mm. well, I didn't. Cool. Great, great <laughs> creative instincts there. Oh. Just steal. Like, yeah. Great idea. Austin, is, he's a sweetheart. Whoever, he's a sweetheart. No, he, totally. He deserved it's it. Like he totally deserved really it. good, I'm sure. Um, but, but, but I do think that, I, d- I was having this conversation with somebody recently, like, when you are uh, creating a character that is based on a person, at what point do you acknowledge this is a character because, or it was, it, it, we did an episode of this podcast talking about Ray, the, the Ray, and Jamie Foxx does this incredible Ray Charles, right? But at the same time, in terms of who these characters are and who he is, like a lot was left out. A lot. I think we're about to deal with this too with Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, there's already a lot of talk about that's who is that? That looks like Freddie Mercury, and the, they clearly have the licensing rights from Queen, and I'm sure Rami Malek will be amazing in the role, but that ain't Freddie Mercury, like Freddie, you know, so, or, or, but we haven't seen the movie yet. I'm just saying, like, this comes up when you play historical figures, um, but especially with somebody like Mozart, who we don't, we never saw, you know what I mean? Like, we, we don't have video of him. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Any other questions? It's okay. Oh, yes, hello. Great question for all creatives. <laughs> what okay. is the most heartbroken you've ever been as an actor, and how did you recover? I mean, I think it, well, I mean, because we have talked about it already, I think when I, when I, didn't, get, when I didn't get Mozart in college, <laughs> it's so stupid to think about now, because it's like, you know, when you're in that bubble, it's like, oh, this is everything. You know, getting a main stage show is everything. This will make my career. Uh, you know, I, 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 was, I stood in the lobby and cried to my, one of my best friends at the time that, who was also directing the show you know he came to apologize to me uh, you know for not casting me in the show and truly the the guy they picked was there he was more connected he was you know and he was so much more the part um but uh you know so that was heartbreak i you know it's it's tough it's such a charmed it's such a charmed career it's like every time you don't get something you're like i didn't get it i didn't get that recurring role on that badass you know fox show or whatever and then you're like, I get to audition for Fox show. I get to audition for badass stuff. Like, it's I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to be like, really. It, it always seems so stupid to me. Well, and I think too, you know, any any industry where there's rejection, rejection is part of this industry. Um, it's part of any industry, but I think with it, when it comes to entertainment and and trying to monetize being a creative. Um, you can't help but be personally attached to it because it's part of you, you know? But at the same time, it is it is really foolish to, to go, oh, but, you know, that's I, 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 th- I can't think about that part. It's like, well, no, you have to think about that part. You know, you have to, meaning the part of the business, the rejection part of the business. Uh, there's that, like, Michael Caine, uh, who knows if it was really Michael Caine that said it first, but that Michael Caine quote of, like, they, um, you know, you, you, they pay you to wait, you act for free. You know, and it's like, it, it's true, it's 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 it all gets sort of factored in, like all the heartache and, and emotional exhaustion, but also you get to do the thing that theoretically makes you the most, it, it like lights your soul up. So it's like, it's part of it though. It's, it's hard to get used to. It's always hard to be told no. Always. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, I, I got to work the other uh, two nights ago and it was a big ass shootout. And, and you know, the, all I could think was like, this is what I did my entire childhood, you know, with your brother. You're just like, you know, 
but now you have like real shit exploding around you and like you're you know you're using real guns which I'm not excited about but it's also exciting you know <laughs> like it's just a, it was such a it's just a cool thing uh, you know it's a, a really charmed life when you get to do it and everything else is fucking misery you're like auditioning and checking your email uh, auditioning is great because you're working right you're doing you're working in the craft um, I love that you think that by the way because oh yeah. I, I cannot get myself there really I really can't I hate I I don't hate auditioning, but I also kind of hate it. Oh it's wow. not, it's miserable. I feel, because I can't get past the judgment part. Yeah. But but I, I want to be in the no. mindset that you are in. Yeah, it's miserable. It, it can be miserable, especially, I don't know. I, I, I just love being, you know, uh, cracking. It's, it is, it's, it's a math problem to me, I think, a lot of times. Like, it's like, well, what are, I know they're, uh, especially when you're auditioning in the Southeast, you know everybody that's going out mm -hmm. for, in, in your type in the role, you know, for the role. Um, so a lot of times you're thinking, well, I know this guy's going and I know he's probably going to do this thing. And I know this guy's going and he's probably going to do this thing. So what is the thing that I can do to kind of like have fun? And, you know, the, the most exciting thing about it for me is like the stuff that's not, you know, this so <laughs> you've probably heard this before, but like the stuff that's not written on the page, you know, the, a lot of times I, I take moments before uh, and kind of improv and auditions, and then the moments after, if, as long as they don't cut me off. Like, if you're in the room, you're just taking up a lot of people's time. But, like, I, I usually try and prepare, like, being a writer, I try and prepare improv, but it's like, no, this is scripted. Like, I, I just, I wrote the piece as well, you know? Uh, like, I, when I did I, Tanya, um, there, was some, there was something small on the page, uh, and then I, I knew that this, I played the heckling spectator. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, there's there's something on the page that was like pretty quick, but I knew I'd have to be there heckling for a while, uh, so I just came up with a bunch of stuff, and they thankfully allowed me to use that and be, you know be able to do that on set. I would love to ask you about um, being a type, because you know this is something that I like. So I have a lot of friends in LA who are who are filmmakers, and um, they. They all have types that they like, right? That they cast, and and I, I, you know, sometimes it's like it's really important to watch TV and sort of be like, oh yeah, okay, I could play a nurse, I could play a teacher, I could play, but you know what? No hipster is gonna cast me as like the cute girl that does the thing because I I'm not that. You know what I mean? And for you, I know you get cast. It correct me if I'm wrong, but you get cast as a lot of tough guys or like you know. It, has that been something that you've had to get used to? Did you lean into it? Do you like because you're like, hey, I'm working. Well, I don't give a fuck. You're like, what are your thoughts on? Because you are creative. You are a tr an artist. Yeah, uh, I, I love. I've always loved playing villains. I don't, you know, when you guys like played around with your brothers and sisters or friends, uh, you know, someone always has to be. Or well, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people are like, I'm GI Joe or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Uh, you know, I'm Luke Skywalker. And I'm like, screw you, dog. I'm Darth, I'm Darth Vader, man. I'm, fucking, <laughs> I'm dirty as hell. <laughs> like. I always like the the dirtbags and the villains, um, and then you know you, the, 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 you know you live a life, and you start looking more like that type of thing. Uh, you know, you, like by nature of having long hair and looking shitty, I play a lot of shitty parts. So I, you know, I play a lot of pizza guys and dirtbags and rapists and murderers and, uh, but I, you know, that's interesting stuff. Like I, I think in, like I went to uh, Florida State and. I did a lot of student films down there, and I was always like uh, so bummed that they wouldn't cast me as like these like romantic leads. You know, I really wanted to be like a sexy lead, 
And then I realized, like, that's not me, man. <laughs> like, I, what, what are you doing? You're, you're denying yourself, like, all this fun stuff. And, and, you know, when you think about, like, these iconic roles, like, like uh, Javier Bardem in No yeah. Country or, or, or um, Gary Oldman, you know, in True Ram- Romance or, or, you know, they're just like the villains are so much more exciting and more fun. They always get the, m- the better material. Uh, so I, I don't mind being, I, I don't, you know, I've, so I'm in, in something now and I've, I've, I'm ponytail goon. Uh, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I added myself to the IMDb page, but I didn't update that you can you can add yourself to the IMDb page, but you don't. You can also add your character name, and I just I wait to add that thing, <laughs> you know, because I don't. People see like, oh, he's attached to this project. Oh, he's playing ponytail. He's just <laughs> ponytail goon. Okay, but <laughs> I I worked on um, this movie Game Night. If you guys have seen it, it's really fun. Um, and that my, the character in that movie was named Ponytail Goon, uh, and then I fought I fought for a, I was like, you know. They're uh, like, oh god, you know, I'm I'm better than Ponytail Goon. Like, god damn it, give me a name. Uh, and they're like, yeah, all right, fine, you're Colin. Uh, meanwhile, the entire film goes. You, you see the entire film, and no one ever says like, hey, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> so people like looking at the credits are like, where's that Ponytail Goon? Who who played that Ponytail Goon? Uh, no, yeah, it was that Colin guy. I don't remember that. Colin. I don't remember Colin <laughs> or Val. Like it. It's like you got bald goon and ponytail goon that are like, you know, it's like, all right, whatever. I love it. I, you, I, love, I love your wonderful attitude. <laughs> and I really, I really do. It's a charm um, of life. It's, it's, I love that. Um, any other questions from anybody? Um, awesome. Well, this has been so great. And Josh, you have been a delight as always. Thank you for I would not me. surprise. Please give Josh a round of applause. Um, this episode. And thank you to Terminus. Thank you, Terminus. <laughs> And thank you to all of you guys for being here and for supporting this. And hopefully you learned some stuff. And um, the show, so the podcast is Sending the Wolf. I know it sounds like Send In. Uh, but if you rewatch Pulp Fiction, it is sending. Anyway, the point is, the show goes up on Tuesdays. Um, like I said, there are 26 episodes already up. Um, we've had I've had some incredible uh, guests, and I'm really proud of the show. So if you enjoyed our talk today, uh, there's more where that came from. So you can find it on. Uh, my name is Clark Wolf. Clark with an E. Wolf with an E. You can find me on all the social medias. Josh Michael, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, y'all. Thank you.